Uh, and I can say that, that there has been times, God has never allowed me to do this. But I've been tempted. I have been tempted to go into what I call a coasting service. This, you know, this coast. Nothing really happens just coasting along. You know, you've got people you work with that coast through the day. You know, you do all the work, they do all the coasting. And so there is time. But, you know, we don't have time to have coasting services. We, and coasting services do not reach the lost. Coasting, uh, coasting services don't build and strengthen. Coasting services don't convict, confront, and challenge. Coasting services are wasted services. They are wasted services. I do not come to church, whether I am preaching or whether I am sitting back here, I do not come to waste time. It's just as hard on me as anybody else sometimes to get to moving. It really is. And when you get there, I don't want to come here and leave the way that I came in. I want to go out of here and feel something in my heart that has changed. I want to feel strengthened. I want to feel that God has touched me and has spoken to me. You know, and after we wade through the clutter of our lives, and after we crash through the obstacles that block our way to the house of God, and after we finally come panting and exhausted into the house of God, we need to feel like David when he said, I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We need to, we need to feel like the psalmist who said, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. Listen, folks, church attendance involves much more than merely mouthing the words of the songs or bowing our heads during prayer, are bringing the tithes, or enjoying the choir, listening to the sermons, there are three important things that should happen in every service. We need to draw near with a true heart, number one. We need to hold fast the profession of our faith, number two, and we need to exhort one another. And if we don't do these three, then we are marking time and we are wasting time. That's the best preaching you're going to hear in a month. It really is. It's the best preaching you're going to hear in a month. Now, I need the church. I, I need, you know, the Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith. Jesus said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If we're not drawing closer to God in the service, we're getting further from him. Someone famously said, if you've been in church, you've heard this many times. If you're not as close to God as you need to be, somebody moved. And I wonder who that was. <coughs> you know who it was. It was us. And what a tragedy to drift away from God during a church service. And, you know, there are people that do that. I remember, I remember one time I, I first got in church, and, and it, it was Sister, Sister Balt that actually brought this. You know, I was a new convert. And I seen this, this couple. They were at church every night during a revival. We had about a three- or four-week one, I think. It may have been longer. And they were there. They were people who fasted. I mean, they, they got up and testified about it. They prayed. They were on the front pew. They said amens louder than anybody else. As soon as the revival was over with, you never seen them again. And they didn't go to another church. They didn't go at all. And I, I couldn't, you know, I, I'm a new convert, dumber in a rock. I used to believe when I come in church that, that, that Christians were perfect. I really did. I, I thought it was really hard on me when I found out that Christians weren't perfect people. I don't know what I expected, but I, I you know, I came in, got the Holy Ghost, so everybody else liked me, and I was perfect. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, and, and I, I asked, I asked, I said, "What happened to those people?" And she said, "You'd be surprised at how many people backslide during the middle of a revival." 
Now, I, you know, still, I can't quite grasp the concept, but I've seen it. I've seen it more than once. It's something about the fact that they're on a spiritual high, and they expect to maintain that spiritual high. And that just simply doesn't do it. That's why we need church. We need church. We need to come to church every time the doors open because I get something that helps me maintain that spiritual level that I need. And regardless of, you know, regardless of who we are, regardless of how spiritual we are, even, even though in the midst of we're doing everything right, we can still get, we can get drained. People can drain you. A society can drain you. Your job can drain you. Anything out there, your kids can drain you. And we need the church to keep us moving the way that we need to move. You know, the Bible goes on, so let us hold fast that profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, in Hebrews 10.23. The word faith in this text refers to what we believe or our core beliefs. Hold fast to your core belief. You may not always be super spiritual, but don't lose what you have inside that keeps you apostolic. Do not lose that core. I'm not always going to be super spiritual. You're not always going to be super spiritual. But listen, there is one place, there's one, I get to one spot inside my heart that I do not back down from. And that's what I know to be true. And I believe whom, I, whom has saved me from, from all that, that, that society was throwing me, all that the world had. It was saving me from hell. I'm not going to let go of my core belief. And that's what it's saying here. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus asked, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth, in the earth? This world system will try to siphon off your faith and leave us empty. The devil desires to lull us to sleep, to get us drunk with the cares of this life, then steal our faith. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Three verses earlier, in Romans 10, 17, Paul asked, How shall they hear without a preacher? In Romans 10, 14. Your faith builds my faith. My faith builds your faith. Separated, coals soon die out. But coals heaped together burn hotter and hotter and longer. Isolation is the enemy of faith. It is the enemy of faith. Jude wrote of mockers in the last time who walk after their own ungodly lust. Those, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, in Jude 18 and 19. We attend church to avoid isolation. We get stronger grip on our faith when we attend church. That's why. Now, in all this that you're saying, what are you, what are you getting to? I, I, this is what keeps us. But in the midst of church... In the midst of having good church, if we're not careful, the, we, we find ourselves facing that demon, that, that, that nasty fault-finding, and that's what I'm going to call him, demon. And, and, and you stop and think about it. The devil has, you know, he has all the, the or Satan rather, holds all the attributes of evil, but he has uh, demons that are specialized. Jezebel was specialized. The accuser of the brethren, the fault finder, if you would, is specialized. And that destroys a 
a church just as quickly as the spirit of Jezebel. And we talk about Jezebel a lot. We talk about that spirit. But listen to me. The accuser of the brethren will just sneak right in and tries to cause you to begin to find fault in everybody that's around you. And before long, you will find yourself isolated outside the church. The Bible tells me in Isaiah 41, 6 and 7, it's, he's talking of God's people. And he said, they helped everyone his neighbor. And everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith. And he that smoothed with the hammer him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering. And he fastened it with nails that it would not be moved. They encouraged one another. That's what the church is supposed to do. To be an encourager, not an accuser. <sighs> this demon can keep you from church. This accuser, this, this fault finder can, can, can destroy you. The fault finder spirit, spirit's assignment is to, he assaults relationships on all levels, every level. It attacks families. It attacks churches. It attacks inner church associations. It seeks to bring irreparable schism into our unity. And it masquerades as discernment. Let me, let me give you this. You need to get this in your spirit. Discerning of spirits is, the, is, is a gift of the spirit, and what it is used for is discern between good, bad, and fleshly. Good, whether it's a Holy Ghost, whether it's a devil, or whether it's flesh. That's what discerning of spirits is. Discernment is something we have by reason of use. We discern between good and evil. It's our senses. It's something we establish, something that we just learn as we live in society. As you get older, you learn, to, you learn what people are using you. You learn that. That's what discernment is. It's different than discerning of spirits. And discernment sometimes, discernment, they can masquerade, saying that that, that, that person there, it, you know, they're evil. They're evil. He wears a... a See, I'm colorblind. It looks like a green shirt to me. Maybe blue. But he's a blue-green shirt. That's a sign of evil. My great-grandma said if you wore a blue-green shirt that you had a devil. And before long, everybody thinks that that guy's got a devil because he wears a blue-green shirt. I know that's a way up off the line, but you'd be surprised what people pick up if they hear it long enough. That's good preaching. Everybody understands that's good preaching. So, you know, we, we have to understand that not everybody who thinks they are discerning something here is really discerning the right thing. This spirit will slip into our opinions of other people, leaving us critical and judgmental. And consequently, we all need to evaluate our attitude towards others. If our thoughts are other than faith working through love, we need to be aware that we may be under spiritual attack. Did you get that? Faith working under the auspices of love. And if it's under the auspices of love, then we are doing the right thing. In other words, I can come to you in a spirit of love and tell you something you're doing wrong and tell you that, you know, you can take care of this, you can talk to God about it, you can repent of it, and everything's going to be okay. That's acceptable. It's when you just judge a person and say, there is no way that you're ever going to get right with God. And you don't tell them how. You're accusing them of the unpardonable sin. You know, there is this some people you just don't like because they got a nasty personality. Or it just rubs you wrong. Maybe they don't even have a bad personality. Maybe they just rub you wrong. Maybe they don't hold all the same worldviews that you have. 
And because of that, you automatically think there's something wrong with them spiritually, and that may not be the case. You ever thought that maybe you're the one that's got the problem? Oh. Hmm. The old fault finder demon. He'll incite individuals to spend days and even weeks unearthing old faults or sins in their, in their ministry or their church. The people who are held captive by this deceitful spirit become crusaders, irreconcilable enemies of their former assemblies. In most cases, the, they, the things that they deem wrong or lacking are the very areas in which the Lord seeks to position them. Now, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else tonight, get this. If you find yourself seeing bad, even if it's, if it's in me, if it's in the person next to you, God may be positioning you for intercession, not judgment. And do you realize that if you don't take it the proper way and you use it as judgment, then you've missed a plateau that God could have taken you to in prayer that you're going to miss altogether because, God, you, you were wanting to be an intercessor. And you begin to see the need of intercession, maybe in a person or persons. It's not a matter of you going to someone and saying, do you see what they're doing? It's a matter of you going to God and saying, God, I'm going to stand in the breach for that person, and I'm going to pray for that person until that person gets free. I'll give him a hand clap of praise. So what happens is criticism becomes a, a smokescreen for a prayerless heart. A prayerful person is not going to be a person who criticizes everybody. Believe me, there's enough criticism in this world and they need any more. Now someone should discover the imperfections of, of me or the church is by no means a sign of spirituality. Believe me. You follow me around long enough. If you want to find my imperfection, just follow me around. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. And I guarantee you she got a list of them. She's not even here, I don't think. Oh, there she is back there. She's got green on. She blends in with that carpet. I can see her back there. You know that, that, that color right there is, it means she's ungodly. You got me wearing that color. You know it. It's, uh, <laughs> she didn't catch that far. I got a, I got a suspicious look. <laughs> it's surprising I can see that far. You know, so, so it's not, you know, that's, that doesn't mean you're spiritual. We're, we're able to find fault with the church before we were ever Christians. You think about it. So that's a learned behavior. How many in here would be brave enough to raise your hand and say, before you came to God, you could find all kinds of fault with the church? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Everybody does. You're the only perfect one here, Jerica. Yes, you are. One of the few perfect ones. <laughs> So, you know, we do. So, so, so if you could find fault beforehand, does it seem strange at all or spiritual at all if you could find fault after you become a Christian? No, absolutely not. It has nothing to do with spirituality. So what we do with what we see is the measure of Christ-like maturity. You remember when Jesus saw the condition of mankind. Now listen to this, folks. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross, according to Philippians 2, 7, and 8. He died to take away sins. He did not judge them. He died for them. In that, there was judgment in his death. Do you get that? No. We're to be Christ-like. 
that as he did, so should we. And instead of him passing judgment on us to the extent of killing us, he died for us. That's why the Bible speaks the way it does about no greater love, greater love hath any man than this, that he would die for his friends. Rather than criticize them, he would die for them. And I'm telling you, you know, I said this earlier. This is not something I'm seeing. This is something I'm warning you about. This is something that's been on me for a few weeks. And something I think we need to, to just keep in mind. Because any time we start seeing people get the Holy Ghost, we start baptizing people, you begin to see this thing coming out. This spirit's been around for a long time, and he won't be judged to the book of Revelations. It is of some consolation that Jesus himself could not satisfy the standards of, of this spirit when he spoke through the Pharisees, or to the Pharisees. No matter what Jesus did, the Pharisees found fault with him. So he's seen this spirit. He dealt with it firsthand. He could not satisfy the standards of the accuser of the brethren in the Pharisees. He couldn't even do it. So if you personally have not consulted with and listened to the individual of whom you are critical, how can you be sure that you're not fulfilling the role of the accuser of the brethren? Even the law does not judge a man unless it first hears him in John 7, 51. The law doesn't even judge a person until they hear him. So how can you point a finger at anybody? I, I, and, and, you know, folks, I, I've, seen, I've seen myself fall into that. And know when I did it. Be aware of the spirit that was, was there. Know it. You feel it. And you find yourself doing it and you get down, or at least I do. If I do it, I get down and repent of it. I, that is one thing that, that I, I believe that every man of God, woman of God, wh whoever it is, any, any person is trying to serve God, that if they can be made aware of something, and sometimes it takes a long time for you to be able to discern, in this case, discern that spirit before that spirit starts working. Because if you can do that, you can stop it at the beginning. And I've often wondered if we can, if we can really uh, grasp and understand how to ward off this stuff. And when I'm saying ward off, it's going to run in Jesus' name. We understand that. But how to, to understand when it's coming and to not allow it any egress in our lives at all. In anything that we do, whether it be Jezebel, the accuser of the brethren, when we feel it and know that it's coming, then we stop it. Where could a church go if, if, if you know, maybe I'm looking for perfection and something. It's not perfect. But I, I, I'm thinking that if more people could see it ahead of time, they could stop it. Where could we go? How, what could God do with us if that, could, if that could really happen for us? The enemy's purpose in this assault is to discredit the ministry so we can discredit the ministry's message. You know, and the timing of this spirit's attack upon a congregation was almost, uh, almost always just prior to or immediately after a significant breakthrough. The unchallenged assault of this demon always stopped the forward progress of a church. I've seen it happen before. I've seen it happen here. It stops the forward progress. If we can be aware of it, and if we see faults, we can become an intercessor and not a criticizer then we can stop it. We can stop it. Let's, let's go a little further with this. 
When this spirit infiltrates an individual's mind, its accusations come with, with such venom and intimidation that even those who should know better are bewildered and then seduced by its influence. Nearly all involved take their eyes off Jesus and focus upon issues, ignoring uh, during the contention that Jesus is actually praying for his body to become one. That's what Jesus did. He prayed for us to become one. The church was to become one. And beguiled by this demon's accusations and counter-accusations rifle through the, the soul of the congregation, stimulating suspicion, fear among the people. Devastation racks the, the targeted church while discouragement blankets and seeks to destroy the ministry, whether it's me or any minister up here, their family, or other servants of God in the church. That's what it wants to do. It gets you so discouraged. so dis- you, know, you just can't stop this thing. But you see, you can stop this thing. It's being aware of it and, and moving into the area of not allowing it to, to, to beguile you, if you would. Trusted friends seem distant. Established relationships are shaken. The vision of the church is quagmired and strife and inaction. And this enemy is not limited to attacks on, on just, just churches. Sometimes it can happen in, in towns. You know, it can happen in relationships and families and a lot of things that this thing will, will, will try to take a hold of. And, and, folks, there is a way. Now, listen to me. And, and I think all, all churches should, should know this. There is a way that a church is corrected. There is a right way. Uh, there, there's, uh, you know, if the church needs that correction. And the ministry uh, of reproof must be patterned after what Jesus and not the accuser of the brethren. When Jesus corrected the churches, now listen to me, in Asia... In Revelations 2 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, he sandwiched his rebuke between praise and promises. Every one of them. He reassured the churches that the voice about to expose their sin was the very voice which inspired their virtue. After encouraging them, he then brought correction. Even when a church was steeped in error, as, as was with the case of, of two of the seven churches, Jesus still offered grace for change. Now, how patient was Jesus in this? He even gave Jezebel time to repent. You getting it? After he admonished the church, his last words were not condemnation, but praises. I'm telling you is what he's saying, that this is what's wrong. But this is what you can be, and this is what I will do if you will. This is what I will do. Now, is this not his way with each of us? All of us. Even in the most serious corrections, the voice of Jesus is always the embodiment of grace and truth. Jesus said of the sheep, they know his voice. And a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him. Remember, if the word of rebuke or correction does not offer grace for restoration, it is not the voice of a shepherd. Never a voice of a shepherd. I'm going to say that again. If the word of rebuke or correction does not offer grace for restoration, it is not the voice of a shepherd. And if you're one of the Lord's sheep, you'll flee from that voice. That's one of the most important things you'll hear. To find an indictment against the church, it is important to note the enemy must draw his accusations from somewhere. Now, where does he get those? He gets them from hell where he gets them. 
If we have repented of our sins, no record of them nor of our mistakes exists in heaven. So how could he couldn't get them from heaven, could he? Because if I've repented of my past, if I've repented of anything that I've done, there's no record in heaven of it. So he has to go to hell where a liar lives. Who will bring a charge, the Bible says, against God's elect? God is the one who justifies in Romans 8.33. Jesus is not condemning us, but is at the Father's right hand interceding on our behalf. Now, keep that in mind. We're talking about flesh and spirit here. What the, the role of the advocate is the right hand. The right hand is always symbolic of the power of God. Jesus was the power of God. He was all of God. So he was the power of God, and that's what that means. So let us therefore expose the weapons of the fault finder. The first is our actual sins. Our, our failure to repent when the Holy Ghost desires to correct us opens the door for the accuser to condemn us. The voice of the enemy never ever offers hope nor extends grace for repentance. It acts as though it is the voice of God and we are guilty of the unpardonable sin. The way to defeat the enemy in this arena is to disarm him by sincerely repenting of the sin. Looking again to the atonement of Christ is the sum of our righteousness. Now, let me give you something. Let me give you something. If you sincerely repent of a sin, you, you have gotten down, whether it's here or at home, and you've repented and you, you mean it with all your heart and you're fighting this good fight, and the accuser comes and begins to berate you over whatever it was that caused you to repent, and you get down and repent again, that means you have no faith in what you just told God. You don't listen to that accuser. You hear me? Because you've got to believe, you've got to have faith that you thought what you have walked into is condemnation. And the accuser is condemning you. He is condemning you and making you believe that God never heard you. So who are you going to believe? I have felt, I have felt that, and many of you have felt the very same thing. You've done something wrong and you've come down, you repented, and you got up and you felt like that, you know, automatically. You hear the voice speaking to you. Telling you, oh, look what you did. You'll never get right with God. I remember a particular thing. I hadn't been in church very long. A particular thing I did very wrong. And uh, I hid the, I'd repented. I did everything I could do. And, oh, the accuser was just pounding me. I was driving and pounding me and pounding me. He might as well give up. I could hear it. You might as well give up. I hadn't been in church for a few weeks. Might as well give up. And, you know, I, I've come to the point where I said, I, I said, and I, I, call, I just called it devil. I said, devil, I said, I got more hope now than I had before, so I'm going to hang on. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, that's what you have to do. I, I have got more hope now than I had before. And you think about it. You know, you can mess up big time, but you still look at what you know. Look at what you know. Why give up now and go back to something like, oh, makes me sick to think about it. So, you know, he, 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 he gets those things and he, he does everything he can do to make you think it's un, uh, unpardonable sins. Yet Satan also seeks not only to accuse us as individuals, but to blend into our minds criticisms and condemnation against others as well. Instead of praying for one another, we react in the flesh against offenses. 
And our, our unchristlike responses are then easily manipulated by the fault-finding spirit. Therefore, we cast down the accuser of the brethren by learning to pray for one another. That's how you get rid of it. You, you intercede again. You pray for one another. Instead of praying on one another, we pray for one another. We must learn to forgive in the same manner as Christ was forgiven, has forgiven us. And if, and if one of us repented, has repented of his sins... We must exercise that same attitude of divine forgetfulness. Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? I've heard of divine forgiveness, but divine forgetfulness, and that's a hard one for me. Anybody else? That is a tough one. I keep remembering that rattlesnake that was all coiled up right there, and I, I keep, I don't want to forget it's there. And, and I've, I've actually taught on this before. Oh, let's, 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 let's bring that before us here. Now, we're, we've got this. We've got this rattlesnake coiled up right here in the weeds. Weeds about yay tall. Broom sage. You know what broom sage is, but nasty stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> I stepped on that dude and got bit the other day. And, uh, you know, I got it all cut out and worked on good shape. The thing is, I know that snake is still there. Now, do I forget that snake is there and just walk right back on him or not? Now, wait a minute. We were talking about divine forgetfulness. Well, tell me. Well, tell, tell me. You got an answer? <laughs> no, no divine forgetfulness in the Bible, but the, the concept of forgive and forget is in the Bible. The concept, the principle. But how far do you forget? Now, so in other words, a leper can't change his spots with you. <laughs> Anybody else? Go ahead. Mark those that cause division among you. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm just asking. Go ahead. Now this is the key. That snake bit me. If I can get that snake to pray through, then I gotta forget that he bit me. Now what's that? Yeah. But you see, that, that's the key. You don't want to give them, no, you don't want to give them opportunity to bite you again. You go stepping on anything, it's liable to bite you. <laughs> you understand? We, didn't, we forgot that part, didn't we? We stepped on the snake. Okay. That's exactly right. Forgiveness is, you know, not binding them. Now, on the other side of it, again, if that person is not truly repented of what they've done, and we go back, that person is still causing problems. And yes, you mark those who cause division among you and avoid them. Go ahead.
because of his human nature or your human nature? Okay. But, you know, the case is, what if, you know, there again, what if you just touch, you, you, that person is, is, has matured. And you've got to remember that that person has matured, they've grown up, they've changed, they've come to you and said, I'm sorry for biting you. Then you have, you, you, you have to still be... <laughs> you better get some divine forgetfulness in you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, see, that's what the whole point. No one brought that up except me. The poor snake got stepped on. Come on. Go ahead. And, and, you know, the point, another point is, if you've got somebody in the church that's obviously caused a lot of problems, that might be a thief, you know, or any other things, you, you don't necessarily tell them they can't come to church, but you keep your eye on them. You keep your eye on them. And, uh, you know, there again, we've got another scripture, bring fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, show me that you repented by the fruits that you bear. That's pretty good. Now, moving on. You know, oftentimes leaders who fall from the intensity of their first love, and I guess that's the best way of putting it, and become the, fear, they become the fiercest persecutors of others who are moving in the Holy Ghost. And, now, and that, 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 they can do that. The Lord's disciples will be persecuted, but they can find no biblical authorization for Christians to persecute others. Okay? Persecution is a deed of the flesh. But as, but as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also in Galatians 4.29, because it was talking about Ishmael and Isaac. And, and yes, you know, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. That's what this is talking about in Galatians. So we don't have a right to persecute. You know, we, I, I go back. You've got the person in the, in the church that you're not too sure of. You know, they're, they're fairly new. They prayed through the Holy Ghost, but you're not too sure of them. You don't persecute that person. They said, you know, you go up to them and say, I know you're past. I'm not so sure about you. You don't need to do that. Yes, you do. Keep your eye on them. Because we come back to another thing that we have. How many times do I forgive a person? You know, listen, folks, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. There's some things right here. We, we, we can talk about and shout about those things. But when it comes to doing it, it's a whole different story. You know, how many times do I keep forgiving that crazy snake that I keep stepping on? The point is, I need to quit stepping on the snake. I can say hallelujah from a distance. Praise the Lord. I'll shake your tail, not your head. You know? <laughs> you know, incredibly, those who are given to persecuting others often actually think they're offering service to God. That's the truth. And John 16 and 2 will tell you that. They think that they're doing something right. To, to combat this enemy, we have to create an atmosphere of grace among us as individuals. And, 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 and you know, it, it's, 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 
individuals, his departments, his churches, all of this. And it's like the Father who has given us life. We, we ought to seek to cause all things to work together for good. If one stumbles, we must be quick to cover him without condoning hypocrisy. Do you understand that? I, I remember um, a man, uh, a preacher, telling me some things that uh, it was one of the best examples that I've ever, I've ever heard. And whether you agree with this or not, I, I, and it was hard for me to first agree with it, but I've thought about it a lot since. And, and they saw a, a pastor who was doing something bad going into a hotel room with a woman. There was a whole load of these pastors that seen him doing it. They were all going to breakfast. They all seen him. So instead of reporting him to the section, they, they confronted him. They talked to him. They told him. They worked with him. And they, they got everything cleaned up. And he became better. Now, what, had the, what if they hadn't? They would automatically have been kicked out, and he probably would have wound up back in sin anyway. But because they did not, they covered his sin. They didn't, they didn't cover it up. They, they confronted him about it. They talked to him. They told him what he needed to do. And that's the key. That's the key, and there's Scripture for that. You know, the Bible talks about members one for another. As it is written, none of you shall approach. Now, this is Leviticus 18 and 6. None of you should, shall approach any blood relative of his to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. We are family begotten from one father. Now, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for their nakedness, the Bible goes on to say, is yours. Even under the old covenant, it was unlawful to uncover another's mistakes publicly. Publicly. Love finds a redemptive way to cover a multitude of sins. Now, let me get to one of my favorite things. There is times as a pastor that you deal with situations like this. And you don't necessarily want to embarrass anybody publicly, but sometimes people are just absolutely vehement about wanting to know what's going on with so-and-so. So I set somebody down from the platform. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many of you ask me, why did they sit down? What's none of your business? So I'm going to say that as a blanket statement. None of your business. As long as they do what I'm asking them to do. Because a lot of times people backslide out of embarrassment. You know, can you imagine me going down and sitting down there for about 12 services in a row and sit down there in the pew? Wouldn't you, wanna, you think I get asked what was wrong? What if I got mad at me and set myself down? <laughs> the accuser uses yet another weapon, and it uses this weapon astutely. There are times in our walk with God when to increase fruitfulness, the Father prunes us back. You see that in John 15. Now, this is a season of preparation during which the Lord's purpose is to lead his servants into a, a new power in ministry. The, the, this growth process, I want you to please get this one. I'm going to try to finish up with this. This growth process requires new levels of surrender as well as a fresh crucifixion of the flesh. I, I read this and reread this particular note. Over and over and over again, I was looking at myself in this. Um, it's often a, a time of humiliation and testing, of, of emptiness and seemingly ineffectiveness. As God expands our dependency upon Him, it can be a fearful time when our need uh, is exposed in, in, in visibility. I, I, I've, 
I have felt that. I have gone through that before. When you felt, I feel ineffective. I feel like I'm not, yet in prayer, I feel like God is telling me, I'm taking you somewhere else. I'm taking you somewhere else. And I don't know how many times that I have backed away from that. I have backed away from that because I felt like I was ineffective and I wasn't doing what I needed to do here. There's been times I wanted to do something completely different, you know, with, with certain people on Sunday mornings, but I get the feeling that I, I'm, I'm missed here on Sunday mornings and if I don't do a certain amount of teaching on Sunday mornings, people get upset. So I don't do it. I back away. I back away. And I have been fighting this for three or four years. And it's like I know what God wants to do with me and I feel... I feel like I got an obligation, to, and I know this is. Don't, don't you don't have to tell me I'm a sinner for thinking this way. I know it. That I got an obligation to you, and I got an obligation to the other people, and and you know, and, and the devil will see to it that I hear somebody mention something. Well, I'd rather have Brother Robertson teach on Sunday mornings, or preach on Sunday nights. I've, I've heard it all, and then you know, you 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 back away. And there again, I, I, I know that somewhere along the line I've got to springboard out of this. But what I'm saying, I'm saying all that to say this. There's time that God, God just breaks you down. You feel, like you, you know, you feel like the anointing is gone. You feel like everything is, is, is off. And it's not a bad thing. But if you've got people out there who see that, and they start, the accuser of the brethren starts pointing fingers. And saying, look, you know, he's no longer the person he used to be. I had one guy tell me uh, over and over again, I'm just not the man I used to be. Well, God bless you. I need to hear that. I mean, that's really not the man. Now, I know I'm not. I'm not the guy I was when I was 30 years old. I'm twice the man I used to be. <laughs> you need to pick that up. Twice the man. Two of, two of me. <laughs> What's that? You don't. You don't. You, you know, and that's as you grow in God, as you grow in God, and, and it, it's, it's not a, a thing of stature. It, it's a matter of understanding. It's a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of, of a lot of variables there that you want to grow and you want to be different. I heard that after I had the, the Mercer business, you know, and I was. I was, I was down. You know, I, I was, and, and during that time, I probably had a closeness with God like I've never had before. And, and I, I, you know, you understand that, but still, you got people, you got the kid. And I'm saying this because it's not just me I'm talking about. I'm talking about everybody. There are times when you may go through that, that period of time where you feel like everything's, you know, God's a million miles away. Nobody, but, but God's trying to bring you to a, a, a more of a leaning on Him. I know in my prayer a lot of times I say, God, I know you want me to lean more on you, but help me to understand how to do it. You know, I keep wanting to know how to I lean more on Him. One thing to sing leaning on Jesus is something else to lean on Jesus. You know, how do I, I, do I get there? And you know, God, the, how God moves is, uh, Brother Balt used to say, God's like a great big millstone. He moves real slow, but when everything's done, you're ground up real fine. And that's exactly right. And the thing is, you've got to stay on the mill. You've got to stay on it. You've got to let God grind you. You know, there is an effectiveness that, that we can have as a church, an effectiveness that each one, every one of you can have in God that goes so beyond everything you could ever imagine if you can go through these things and continue to let God take you through until you're done. The problem is it may not be something that's going to be done in a few weeks, few months, or even a, a few years. That's according to how much we keep backing away from the process. And I know for a fact that I backed away from the process. 
one of these days I'll just do it and not care. And, uh, and, and I, know, I, I know that's coming. So anyway, this growth process requires new levels of surrender as well, again, as, as crucifixion of the flesh. It's often a, a time of humiliation, testing, emptiness, ineffectiveness. And as God expands our dependency upon him, it can be a fearful time when our need is exposed and, and really in stark visibility. And unfortunately, this time of weakness is apparent not only to the man or woman of God, but it frequently occurs before the church and, and before principalities and powers as well. So the fault finder spirit and those who have come to think as it thinks find in their targets vulnerability and opportunity to crush them. Jealousy enters them. There's so many things that can happen. The reason the Bible says jealousy is as cruel as a grave because there's nothing any more cruel than jealousy. Nothing. Nothing at all. I had a man one time years and years ago that, that actually mentioned to me, he said, you know, he said this. He said, I'm jealous of you because your, your shirts are always clean and pressed. And he was serious. I said, well, be jealous of my wife because I wouldn't have done it. So it's her doing it. You know? You, you're surprised at what you, you, you face with people. And you know it. It's, it's, it's the accuser of the brethren. So just don't let yourself be found in that, that condition. That, that is the key. I'd like to finish up with this, but I'm not really... Uh, want to go any further with it. I want to stop at that particular point. Stand with me. Well, before you stand, any questions or comments? Questions or comments? Go ahead. That's exactly right. That's all you need, sis. That's right. Very good. Very good. It's a great point. Because, you know, there are going to be people, and it comes from everything. You know, if they see you become more spiritual, it's a sad thing, but if you become more spiritual than they do, they can become jealous of you. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's human nature. We don't condemn them, and we don't keep avoiding them because they're coiled up in the grass, but we just, you know, walk a little wider circle around them maybe. Anybody else? Comments? Yeah. It's good. It's good. That reminded me of a story I heard a long time ago. That, um, this this couple were in church, and this the, the man specifically was having a hard time. He felt like that God wasn't with him anymore. And they had twins, and uh, they had just, you know, they were school age, just to become school age. And they could walk to school from where they were, but there was a there was a traffic light, a road they had to cross. And 
they had went with those kids over and over and over again. Once they walked with them, told them what they had to look for, what the light did. And so came school morning, sent the twins off. Well, the parents waited. They got so far, then they come in behind them and hid behind a tree to watch. And they got across the road all right. And, and that man, as he was hiding behind a tree, God spoke to him. He said, that's exactly how I've been treating you. You know, I, I, he, sometimes God hides behind a tree to see how we're going to handle things. Let's stand.